Hello, this is the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. I sincerely apologize for not making this African dryland episode available yesterday. Do not forget this episode is part of the six-part series on the Global Landscape Forum, Africa Digital Conference that took place last week, led by the Center for the International Forestry Research and the World Agroforestry Center. In collaboration with its co-founders, UNEP and the World Bank and its charter members. Now, today, Salina Abraham joins me as we look into what was achieved last week during the conference. In this conversation, we'll actually talk about uh, critical issues like finance. How do Africa finance dryland restoration this decades now identified as the UN decade of restoration? Uh, we'll also talk about how best Africa can take advantage of its massive population of robust and tech-savvy youth and many, many, many more issues. So I do not want to preempt the conversation. Allow me to invite Selina Abraham. Selina, thank you so much for joining us. Let's please start with the introduction. My name is Selina Abraham. Um, I am a young Eritrean professional who started studying in forestry and economics um, and really got sucked into um, thinking about how uh, Africa as a continent, East Africa in particular, can um, you know, achieve its development objectives without really destroying the planet and leveraging, um, you know, our, our natural resources. So I've been working as a strategic advisor with the Global Landscape Forum and different organizations in the past couple of years, particularly on sustainable land management practices. Uh, the GLF just con uh, concluded. And I think first, before we talk about the key outcome, probably just good to just bring, you know, our, our listeners up to date in terms of why was it key to hold this conference at this particular time? Yeah, that's a great question because it's it's felt like, you know, there's there's momentum building around climate change. There's more awareness, you know, around sustainability. But what we really wanted to do was to ground this in, you know, one of the most important landscapes. And we've talked about this that you know, over one third of the world's population lives in drylands. Um, this is a an ecosystem that has been completely overlooked. That um, has a narrative of of being scarce and dry and unproductive. And um, what we wanted to do was to bring together, um, you know, not only the communities that are living in these landscapes and to raise their voices, but to bring together, you know, the broader uh, climate community, funders, investors, ministers, to start to understand what the actual story of drylands is and to build this new narrative of, of hope and um, and the vision for the future. So it, it was incredible really to see so many people come to the conference um, and to align in, in um, perspectives, in the thinking of what needs to be done in the future. And so, you know, it was in many ways raising awareness of how important um, drylands are. Um, but also the role that they're going to play moving into the future, both for climate, but also mostly for people. What is their role in terms of at this particular time when it comes to, of course, we have the UN decade uh, for uh, restoration. We also have the whole issues of climate issues. We have different um, uh, achieving, we have to achieve the, the, the sustainable development goals. What role do Dryland uh, play in terms of achieving all these global agendas? Exactly. So, you know, the beauty of the conference was being able to host it right alongside World Environment Day and the launch of the UN Decade on Ecosystem Restoration. Mm -hmm. um, and in one key, you know, aspect of, of the UN Decade is, is you know, to encourage um, really the world and to spark a movement to restore ecosystems, but also largely to prevent the degradation of existing, you know, ecosystems and, and, mm -hmm. and to dig deeper into why, what is causing 
this problem? What, what, what um, you know, are the entrenched habits? What are the drivers of de uh, deforestation and degradation? So what we wanted to do in this, this conference was one, to really dig into the drivers um, and then also to look at what are the, you know, the, the policy priorities? What are the development pathways? What are the influences that are currently happening that are, are either neglecting drylands or driving uh, the degradation within these ecosystems? So it's very important as we talk about restoration, that we do this holistically and that we integrate this properly into, into national development plans, into regional initiatives. And so the intent here was is to talk about dry lens and the role that they play and the multiple benefits that they, they offer um, beyond simply, you know, restoring carbon in the soils, but the benefits that really come um, to the local communities, the benefit, the ways that we can use this to really invigorate jobs and opportunities for young people to achieve our goals for gender equality. Um, and then, of course, to balance this with, you know, the very real needs of infrastructure or, um, you know, resource extraction. So trying to think about all of these and then the trade-offs and the synergies and, and seeing that there is a way forward where our drylands can be uh, you know, incredible places to maintain our culture, um, our communities, and also at the same time, um, the the vibrant element of these landscapes and the health and the vitality of these landscapes. So really identifying a sustainable pathway forward, um, which begins with conversation. So that's really what, what the GLF intended to do. And and this is very important, especially I was actually just doing a story the other day looking into nature, basically nature-based solutions. And I'm thinking when it comes to drylands and looking into um, incorporating going beyond tree planting and looking into the the, the the basic the entire ecosystems and also working closely to its people because then these people are very key um to restoring the natural ecosystems that they live in right exactly and it's it's um it's difficult because sometimes we talk about ecosystems and we talk about biodiversity and so in that context it's incredibly important um you know a third of all biodiversity hotspots are within the drylands but at the same time you, there's an incredible amount of people who do, who depend on the land so so critically on rain-fed agriculture, um, on livestock husbandry, and so this is what we wanted to talk about is not only you know the the real benefit from a from a black, uh, climate a biodiversity angle, um, but also what are the challenges being faced by the local communities? Um, how is COVID nineteen and and you know the economic uh, shocks and challenges going to affect them? Um, and and think about you know, also food systems. So there's a lot of different conversations happening, um, which, you know, is, is the nature of future thinking and future planning. Um, but it was really important to for us to ground that in the local communities, the people, the voices, the young women, uh, young people, the women, um, farmers, pastoralists. And so um, the joy of creating this conference was really putting those voices at the heart of it and putting them at the limelight and then being able to offer a space for others to listen and to observe and to also engage in dialogue. Yeah. So we, yeah, we had over 7,000 people in the platform, thousands watching online, uh, millions of course on social media, but it felt so meaningful and it felt um, like many people really learned something new coming out of it, um, which mm. is so important in, in these types of events. Yeah. 
And now we have to go deeper into now the implementation because I, I find it easier just basically meeting together and having a conversation and, and looking into understanding what the problem is. And But I find it a little difficult when it comes to real actions on the ground and real implementations on the ground. Because what, I what I've found in the years of journalism is that we find like in many adaptation projects, um, is big institutions come and because there is funding mainly from the uh, from the global north then communities are told this is what you do but then they are largely ignored in terms of in many instances you find that adaptation projects do not really go deeper into asking communities what do you understand what do you want what is your problem and i'm hoping that when it comes to implementation of this um, fragile lands uh, restoration of this dry land it is very key for a change of, of of doing things whereby communities are at the forefront and big big uh, institutions or probably um, projects that are being that are implemented even already because I know it is not a beginning of restoration of drylands but they've been restored over the years but I think it's about time that we look into the global uh, south of doing things in a different way where communities are at the front forefront of these adaptation issues of these dryland restorations whereby they actually um, their voices are heard so that we have sustainable way uh, pro uh, programs or projects that are restoring these drylands on the ground. Yes, I, can, I completely agree. And this was a theme that, you know, continued to come up, especially in the closing plenary. Um, and, and it was really wonderful for us to see uh, the Honorable Minister Sharon Ikezor from uh, Nigeria, the Minister of State for Environment, in discussion with, uh, you know, a young climate activist, Adenike Oladosu, talking about how they're working together to to look at how this can actually be integrated. And so what a key message from all of this is that it really must be country driven and integrated into national planning and national implementation. At the end of the day, many of these restoration targets are set by the governments and the, the you know, the, the onus and responsibility comes to the government to truly implement and restore this in, you know, number of hectares. But um, beyond having local communities and civil society, you know, as uh, activists on the side, as people who are trying to demand for accountability, there's a real role in implementation. Um, and, and to dig, to, to achieve that level of partnership requires a substantial amount of dialogue and trust building. Um, and th this is what we were really hoping to achieve is to build the more substantial uh, exchange of knowledge, of content and in, in aspirations for the future. Um, that could enable that partnership to happen when it, with respect to implementation. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, as we move forward, as we follow up with those who have attended and, and really encourage uh, future actions, that we could start to tangibly come back and say next year, this is what has come out of it. And it's been a joy to see that happen at, at every GLF forum, to see new initiatives being launched and formed as we go. And what would you say were the key achievements during the conference? Well, I will say that, you know, um, each of our conferences mark the start of a journey. Um, mm -hmm. And so, if anything, this was really our first Africa-focused drylands event. And so what I know will happen and we'll start to see in the months that follow are these new discussions emerging, partnerships and, and funds bubbling up. And so just as the UN Decade on Ecosystem Restoration was you know, uh, thought up of and created at a GLF event. I, I can only imagine the new initiatives that will form afterwards. Um, but we were really happy to see um, already several initiatives being launched 
um, from the Global Environment Facility, from the government of Luxembourg, really supporting additional finance for these um, ecosystems and, and country programs. Um, and then very clear calls to action as it relates to, to tenure on really women leading intergenerational dialogues, um, thinking about gender sensitive land tenure policies um, and equitable access to land. Again, this is something that has come up over and over again at conferences. But this is, um, I think, the way in which we were able to coalesce and, and find new partnerships around this theme, I'm, I'm hoping we'll be able to see translate really at the country level and in different contexts. Um, yeah, so there's there's many different aspects, I think, that we're going to need to follow up on. Um, but it felt that there was a real coherence and alignment among those who, who attended. And, and one of the things that has always been an issue in terms of especially, especially when it comes to climate issues and adaptation and mitigation is availability of funding. I'm wondering what funding is available or was agreed upon for the restoration of drylands. And is there a specific number that would say this is how much is required for uh, restoring African drylands? Yes, I mean, this is uh, a, a big question, a key question. Uh, we had you know people launch funds but in nowhere near the finance that is necessary and so i think one thing that is is exciting um was the launch from the government of luxembourg which announced its new uh finance for nature platform which you know again is is really designed to shift financial flows to sustainable land use models to do the research necessary um identify the numbers and identify you know the, the key players that can help drive the implementation um, so I, it feels that, um, you know, the intent is to launch things that are long lasting and that can facilitate and the kind of adaptive uh, actions that need to be taken over the next 10 years. Um, we did see another launch from the Global Environment Facility, the Dryland Sustainable Landscape Impact Program. Um, and, and this will work directly within 11 countries, right, to reach almost 1 million people directly and restore 12 million hectares. But when we say you know, this is wonderful. It's been launched. It's, it's 12 million hectares out of, you know, hundreds. So this is, there's much work left to be done, particularly in the finance category. Um, and the GLF will have a focused finance event towards the end of this year to dig deeper on this topic, because it's, 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 um, it's one that requires a different audience um, and a different approach uh, in order to really secure commitments at that, mm -hmm. at that scale. Yeah. How much do, you, do we need for drilling for solution in Africa? Yeah, I, 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 I can't say how much we would actually need. Um, what I, I do feel comfortable saying and what I find is, is um, quite unfortunate sometimes is the amount, um, th there's two aspects here. One is making sure that finance flows support restoration. But then there's also ensuring that finance flows do not compromise restoration, right? That financing degradation yeah. we talked about. Yeah. And this, the amount that we actually need for restoration is much smaller than what we're actually spending on degradation. And so it's um, even if we talk about restoration, it's a small chunk of the pie. When we talk about moving to, to, to climate uh, friendly infrastructure, and it's, it's doable. It is very, very doable. And it's small in terms of the scale. Um, of financing that we see across the world, um, but it will require a mind shift. So um, I would say stay tuned on that for us to, to really come back and provide some more direct um, information on, on, on the numbers and also the strategies to get there. Okay. 
Fantastic. And when it comes to the African youth, um, the, the continent has a huge number of a young population. This young population are people who are vibrant with technology. When I was actually attending the GLF, there was a lot of platforms that were specifically geared for that. What role do you think the African youth should play? Yeah, I mean, that was um, undoubtedly a huge part of the conversation at the conference and more so just an, uh, an inevitable, uh, undeniable reality for the African continent and, and a big source of hope, um, in, my, in my opinion. So we, you know, we started really systematically working with um, young people from across the continent on restoration, um, really capacity development, on business training, um, nearly three years ago now. And it is incredible to see how this new generation of entrepreneurs have evolved already. Um, and we're seeing how young people have the initiative, the will, the um, really the intent to see their, a difference in their communities. And, and many of them have founded NGOs, are doing work, are you know, volunteering at different clubs. But what we've been trying to see is how can we shift these community-based NGOs into sustainable social businesses? Um, and really start to see young people move and, and, and build for themselves. Now, this is, I want to qualify this because it's really important that people, uh, we don't just look at youth unemployment and say, oh, well, okay, well, young people, why don't you create jobs for yourself? Mm. But I think when we look at the capacity and the desire for young people to really get involved, there's a new opportunity here where um, private sectors, are, are, are committing additional funding and they're looking for the on the ground implementation. And so what we're trying to do now is to really work with our partners, whether that's WRI, Interimatch, um, or directly with the Robert Bosch Foundation, for example, to really provide um, the, tr the training necessary and the conditions necessary for young people to be able to really flourish and build um, those NGOs and those, those sustainable businesses. So um, uh, we did launch a new uh, funds, really providing seed funding to mm -hmm. young people to start GLFX chapters, which we're hoping will really catalyze um, additional kind of activities as it relates to restoration and young people moving forward. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this one year long program goes and and how we can report back in a year showing um, this these results. But young people are absolutely pivotal to how we're going to drive this. Mm. There is a training, there's a couple of trainings that you have actually launched also for, mm -hmm. for, the, for the young people, right? Yes, yeah. In, in this conference, we had a four-week-long restoration road trip uh, with mm. over 60 participants, uh, young professionals and different partners. Um, and this is truly tailored to their, their learning needs, whether that's yeah. someone who's studied restoration or someone who's studied business and wants to get involved. Um, so these are these are ongoing and in communities of support that carry on for years. Um. Mm. All right, and but but this one thing I kind of like I'm wondering whether we should we also uh, institutions also need to do something different also like looking into um, like I totally understand in terms of the training for the youth and also like specific funding for the youth because in most cases you find. When it comes to many institutions, I mean, many um, initi initiatives, like when it comes to climate issues, the youths do not have their own funding. And so basically they are kind of embedded in uh, what other, what institutions are doing. And so like the, the whoever has the money basically drives the agenda, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so the young people find themselves, they have to 
to kind of, I don't know whether I could call it cocoon or maybe they have to kind of line up within institutions or in, in what different institutions are actually doing because they don't have funds of their own. So they much of the decisions they're making, they're not at the forefront because they are invited into these meetings because they have to be invited, they can't bring themselves there. Yeah. So there's, there's, how do you, how do we do things differently in terms of making sure these youths are empowered and they just not have a voice that they can, they have a voice that probably you find they can't implement much of the things because somebody else who has the money has to make their decisions too. And of course, whoever has the money decides the directions by which somebody goes. So yeah. a, a young people might have this particular idea, but then again, because the funder requires that, um, them giving them the money to align to their own funding, the funding, funding institutions themes you still find the youth are kind of curtailed in a way by which by the level by which they can actually climb but these are young people who do not have the um the the funding measures by which to actually get to where they would want the continent basically all their agendas to go how do we make sure that the, we are uh in as we now kick off this restorations actually as 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 now moving forward after the glf how do we make sure that the young people have a voice but then they also have means of implementation Exactly. This is one thing that we have been really working on because as we're, you know, we're, we're in the position now as the GLF when we're working towards more regional support to directly supporting young people, uh, both in, in finance and in networks and in, in training. Um, so we've, you know, launched our Restoration Stewards Program, which has supported, directly supported young people um, in their restoration projects. Uh, but at the same time, this is a, a problem that young people are facing at, at a massive scale, you know, and we there's many young people, young or youth organizations are nesting themselves, of course, in, in those other larger organizations. And it does lead to a concession of, of uh, you know, and, and, and a difference in, in the voice that they have. So there's a, a more systematic problem at play in terms of being able to really channel funding directly to young people. Our, our institutions are not built in this way. Um, many of them are not flexible enough to really account for um, what young people need. And so I think the real opportunity that we have, and, and we're, we're doing a deep dive into this now within the GLF, because our, our real intent moving forward is to provide direct funding and support to local communities, not to middlemen, not to other, you know, uh, people who are holding the purse, but directly to young people who are trying to implement their projects. Um, but because we have this problem and it is a collective problem, there is a way for us to really collectively find that answer for young people. And so it's, um, I think there's a real opportunity for these coalitions to build amongst different young people, nascent, you know, growing youth organizations to identify a, a, a new form of accountability and also of just being able to channel this new funding. So um, I'm really hoping that we can get to that solution very soon, um, but it definitely requires a new way of thinking and working for anyone who is involved in restoration. This is, this is not something that is simple. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And I just want us to wrap it up. But before we do, I'm wondering in terms of, of course, the UN decade of restoration was launched um, and um, the decade that is 2021 to 2030. Why is it important for the drylands? Yeah, so the UN decade on restoration has big ambitions, both in uh, leveraging finance, but more importantly, in being able to create, to influence the broader conditions to mm -hmm. enable successful restoration. So there's many angles to this. On, on one hand, 
you know, there's a real effort to facilitate synergies among the Rio conventions on biodiversity, climate change, desertification, to make it easier for countries to be able to, to implement the sustainable development goals while keeping restoration at the heart of it, while using restoration as a way to achieve it. So it, it's... Um, its intent is to make it easier for countries to be able to restore and achieve maximum benefit. Um, this also includes supporting regional processes initiatives such as the Great Green Wall, both in monitoring and implementation and funding and in other technical aspects. Um, but what I really find is key um, is this, this aspect on influencing the broader conditions. And if we're able to achieve this, you know, this is a 10 year long decade. And so it, it's, it's going to start um, slow in being able to achieve the funding and being able to mobilize the private sector support. But the ultimate goal is is a real transformation in, in how we, um, you know, treat local communities, indigenous peoples, and how we look at our food systems. Um, it, it's going to see something that is much deeper, I think, and broader than what we're seeing as the, the restoration conversation today. Um, and the beauty of it now is that being able to spotlight drylands at this point, to talk about what is needed at the start of the decade. We have a real opportunity to, to use the UN decade as a way to achieve the goals that, that Africa has, the vision that Africa has. And so um, I'm, I'm hoping that the UN decade, you know, it's featuring many of our, our, our leaders on the advisory board within the task forces, that as the implementation moves forward, that we're really able to achieve the finance that we talked about that is, is truly necessary and the the country support for implementation that we that we truly need. Um, so, you know, the I would say it's still out on the UN decade. We have much ambition and hope for it, but we'll we'll see how how it moves in the next couple of years. Mm. And I'm also just listening to you speaking. I'm wondering, are we also have as a globe? Are there too many initiatives? I'm wondering, like, because I'm like, there is mm -hmm. the 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 SDG, um, the ecosystem restorations. There's the AFR. There's a climate change Paris goal. There's a trilands. There's the UNT, UN decade of restoration. Yes. When it comes to Africa, there's the Agenda 2063. Is there a need to kind of umbrella this and, you know, like make, you know, how do we run them in tandem? How do we make sure that kind of these efforts basically are all come together? It's one thing, basically, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to uh, work together. Do we, do we, are, are we having too many restorations whereby countries might find themselves lost in all days? So do we have exactly. a way of marrying them all together and basically saying, okay, we are trying to basically restore our nature and have ourselves our, um, sustainable systems by which we have food, by which we have water, by which we can live basically and make sure that our communities are taken care of? Yes, that is ex exactly the problem that, that, that countries are facing, that ministries are facing. There are so many initiatives, different reporting requirements, um, different objectives, a new terminology that, that you know, we all have to keep up with. Um, and so the UN decade sole intent has been to really create synergies in between, to pull data or from existing data to be able to show what restoration is needed. Um, and more so, I think, as a whole, this is something that you know UN agencies, initiatives, and everyone in this 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 overall community needs to think about. We talk about this at the GLF a lot. Once we've achieved our objectives, you know, it, it doesn't matter if people know the word landscapes or the landscape approach. Mm -hmm. Our overall long game is the same. You know, we, we we want to see sustainable development. We want to see the end of poverty. We want to see our people thriving. Um, and to do that, 
by the by year nine, year eight, year 10 of the UN decade, it won't matter if people know what the UN decade is. It, it solely matters that we're able to move as a collective towards that direction. Um, and so we're really hoping that these first couple years, we're able to create the real needed shifts necessary to give people the language necessary and the actions and, that they need to take. Um, but the initiative itself, you know, whether the name is there, whether people remember it or not, that's yeah. that's not really that's not really the intent. All right, Selena, thank you so much. Your final word, please. Oh, I'm just I'm so grateful. Thank you for for um, following this. There is, I think, what this conference offered me. Um, you know, there's there's always with the with the pandemic, it's been tough to see how this is affecting the most vulnerable, um, and it, it it doesn't leave a lot of hope for those who are concerned about the climate crisis and how the, the global community will come together. Um, but this conference served as a real source of hope for me um, to be reinvigorated again as, you know, uh, a child of a, a dryland country to feel hope yeah. that you know, there's, there's funding that's coming, there's uh, an alignment of, of messages and just a true solidarity amongst uh, African people around the direction that we want. So I, I feel really hopeful and very humbled and grateful to have been a part of it. Absolutely. And thank you so much for joining this conversation. I sincerely appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Stay well. All right. And for the youth, do not forget to check out our website, www.africaclimateconversations.com for ecosystem restoration opportunities. Also join us next week as we talk to two youths from Kenya and Ethiopia on their dryland protection efforts. But remember, this podcast is available on Spotify, Google, Apple, our website, and every other channel you access your podcast from. We are also delighted to hear from you through info at africaclimateconversations.com. Remember, the restoration of the African Dryland series is a six-part series on the Global Landscape Forum, Africa Digital Conference, led by the Center for the International Forestry Research, CIFO, and the World Agroforestry Center, ICRAF. This is in collaboration with its co-founders, UNEP, the World Bank, and its charter members. I do wish you a lovely week ahead. Until next week on Tuesday, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Mbogwa.